Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our... Home away from home in Tucson, Arizona, in our second most favorite campground. On a beautiful, beautiful day. Arizona has great weather in the winter, I'll tell you. Um, although this January is the hottest January in Tucson's history, that just means that the temperatures are in the 70s and 40s at night. So for us, uh, this is fabulous summer weather in the winter and tucson is uh, able to deliver and we have uh, of course spent some time in florida and you know that the weather could be bad there and it was there kind of bad this summer this winter rather but we are here in arizona where the temperatures are warm and the air is dry we've never seen <laughs> relative a, a humidity dew point, a, a dew point of minus two minus two i mean that's dry air now, if you really lived here, you would be worried at this point because they have had so little rain. Today in particular, there are some fairly gusty winds, which you might hear in the background as we speak with you, and uh, people worry right away, as we saw in California when it's very windy, that a carelessly tossed cigarette or something could create chaos once again. Yes, indeed. Uh, but as tourists who can come and go as we please, <laughs> we are selfishly finding this weather delightful, and it gives us an opportunity at this campground to take advantage of tennis and the campground-sponsored bike rides to the point Which is why I'm guzzling water. We rode quite a ways today. To the point where my skeleton is aching almost all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Old age is creeping in. But getting fit for the winter is a New Year's resolution. And last month, at the end of the month, we were making a excited anticipation for 2018 and here we are at the end of january we haven't moved too far since we spoke with you last in las vegas where we had a very enjoyable time on the fremont street celebration uh where we left before it actually was midnight there although they did broadcast the dropping of the ball in new york city it was a nice way to do something special without spending a lot of money or uh, having to stand in lines or wait for a lot of crowds. So we're glad we made the choice that we made there. After another week or so in Las Vegas, we started working our way south here to Tucson. We've had one day of rain this winter. The day we left Las Vegas. We had to drive in the rain. Unbelievable. Las Vegas, after 110 days of no rain, decided on the day we left that it would rain, and we got wet. And, and dirty. And dirty. So I have been cleaning up ever since. And what do I use to clean up? You're always buying new stuff. Amazon. 
brings boxes here almost every day. That's one of the advantages of being in one place for a long period of time. You can shop as if you were at home. And Amazon delivers right to our site, which is very cool. And we found this to be true in most campgrounds. If you put down a site number, they will deliver right to your site. Our next-door neighbor uh, has decided, after some discussion, that he doesn't like to have stuff delivered to a site. And so he has his delivered to an Amazon locker, locker, which we have not used, but we mentioned before. But he talked about how it works, and it's actually quite cool. Out here in Arizona, there are quick time, quick gas stations, gas stations, quick time gas stations, and convenience stores. And mo- many of them in this area have the Amazon lockers. And you go, you get a code, and you take your Amazon app, and you put the code in when you're near the locker. And when you, when you touch the display, it uh, opens the correct locker for you. And if you have two packages, it then opens the second package. Or locker. you have some secret code that you... No, they extend you a code. And, and you, you put that into like the a app. a PIN number, yeah. Where, yeah. Yeah, and then it opens it. But it knows which locker your box is in or your package is in, and it automatically opens it. So if you're a little worried about uh, security of your packages, that's a, a really nice way to get packages almost anywhere. And the quick time, the closest one of these uh, Amazon lockers to us here is about five miles away, maybe a little less, four or five miles. So I imagine, but it's much easier to get it at your campsite. I imagine we will start using this service when someone steals a box from our campsite. But so far, that has never happened. And so, in blissful trusting ways, we uh, continue to have delivery trucks come here almost every day, bringing Ken gizmos and gadgets that he's lusting after, including rig cleaning devices. I bought. I talked once about the works. Battery operated power washer and hand blower. Well, hand blower, but I got the power washer, I've got them both. But I was a little a bit skeptical about the power of this thing and whether how long the battery would last. But actually, I've been quite impressed with how it works. If you are thinking you'd like to bring along with you some device to help you clean your rig, whether it's a trailer or a fifth wheel or motorhome or whatever it happens to be, your car. This device actually works good. Now, it's it's not going to give you the kind of pressure that you need to peel paint off of things or really do a, a fabulous job on concrete. But for cleaning tires and cleaning the dirt off your motorhome uh, or your trailer, it actually works pretty well. And it uses it only sips water. And one of the coolest things is, is that you don't have to have a powered water supply. So I have a bucket, a two-gallon bucket, and two gallons, it it, it runs uh, about half a gallon a minute. So that's a a two-gallon bucket actually works quite well. It will draw the water out of the bucket in order to uh, wash your vehicle or whatever you're you're spraying. So that's, uh, it's a nice little gizmo, and it runs for 10 or 15 minutes on a battery. So uh, with a couple batteries, you can do easily do your motorhome. And it does as good a job as you need to have done. It's not uh, as long as you understand what it is. And then, of course, one of the problems that you have is... You have all these water droplets all over your vehicle, and it's hard, especially without a ladder, to get up high to get the water drops off. So Amazon brought Ken his own blower, which is a companion to the power washer, to the works power washer, and it's battery-operated. We're using the same batteries, the 20-volt lithium-ion batteries, and that then 
will blow the water off so that you don't have water spots. Or you can be a lazy bones, as many of our neighbors are, who simply hire local Hispanic work crews who bring <laughs> gigantonormous uh, blowers and power washers. We, we hear them regularly uh, competing with the noise of Tucson International Airport, well, which we are unfortunately a bit too close to. And they're using a real high-power power washer that really is very powerful and and noisy. This mine is very quiet, so that you can use it surreptitiously and not have not bother your neighbors. And it's small, so that you can easily use it as a portable and battery operated, and no water supply needed. So it's got a number of advantages that make it quite attractive for RVers. Every so often, we've been making jokes about Ken's cooking and my efforts to add him to the jokes about my cooking to the cooking rotation um, on Tuesdays. And I am afraid that I must confess that um, I was slow to realize the key to generating his cooking enthusiasm. After after forty plus years of marriage, it has occurred to me that the acquisition of cooking gadgets are the way to generate more enthusiasm and interest on this particular topic. So since we uh, have, have I been played or what? So since I've, I've, since we've been here in Tucson, um, we have acquired a number of kitchen improvements. Uh-huh. Uh, one of them at great expense and is, great time. Yes, one of them is a Breville oven, uh, which is enormous, and will probably end up in our kitchen at home. We'll swap it out with the Breville we have in the house. Uh, but its particular charm is that it contains an air fryer. As geezers that are trying to maintain our good health, we we rarely eat fried food, and and this is well. a bummer. So Ken read about these air fryers as being uh, the best thing since sliced bread for making tater tots, one of his particular yes. favorites, and uh, we gave it a try. What's your verdict at this point? Well, it's not frying, but it's close. You get a nice crispy outside, and it doesn't have the f- mouth feel of real oil. Fat. Fat. <laughs> But you shouldn't have that anyway. But one of the things we wanted was not to have a separate device because we don't have we don't have places to store all these things. We had the nice Breville toaster oven, and it did a nice job of toasting, but it didn't do air frying. So I've read that Breville came out with a air fryer. Now air frying really means that it has kind of a basket. It blows a lot of hot air over the thing you're trying to cook. And that's the way it. It cooks it. So it, it, there's it, no frying involved. And, and it seems to take about the same amount of time as the instructions on the bag no, of tater tots say yeah. to fry tater tots. I think tots. a little longer. A little longer. But the cool thing is, is that it uses no oil. And this is one device now that we have the Breville that does the... it does toast and it does I bake, in, bake it. in it. She bakes muffins and things in it. And this new one does air frying. So we decided to replace the old one. And I guess because it is a little bit big for the motorhome, we decided to I f- think I'll forego air frying in the motorhome and only do it at home. Only do it at home, I guess. And bring the one we have at home in the, into Which the motorhome. Which is slightly smaller. Anyway, uh, the air frying is an option and I've had some good times with it, uh, making some things that I was not allowed to make prior to this. <laughs> Why wasn't I allowed to make them? 
because they were unhealthy because you had to fry them. And messy. And let's face it. You don't want to haul around French fries and tater tots in the oven are just soggy messes to me. Oh, yeah. You can't microwave them to any state of deliciousness. So so. this makes them crispy. It's a compromise. Yeah. And I haven't made anything from raw in that I haven't taken potatoes and done anything with them that way. But, hey, she's got me excited about cooking again. (laughs) Cooking for the first time. Tuesdays and th- no Tuesday. Oh, Tuesdays and Thursdays are going to have. Oh, well. Anyway, Tuesdays are going to be my day. Another improvement we've made to the kitchen is uh, Ken has installed an induction cooktop to replace the electric cooktop that c- came with our coach. Um, we've kind of eased our way into this in a gradual way by traveling with an induction burner that burner. was portable that you just right. plugged into the wall and we've gradually accumulated the pots and pans that we use most often that work with it because they have to have ferrous metal in order to um, Ooh, boy, heat. Very technical. So the remaining dilemma was the install and as is often the case some parts of it went quicker and easier than we expected and other parts were a bit more challenging. Coach Builder had simply taped the old electric cooktop down onto the wood surface that it rested on so it popped right out came out very quickly and readily but when you know it uh the shape of it was not the shape of the hole that the old cooktop had left behind and even though i have utmost confidence in my husband's driving and computer skills and photography skills um his carpentry (laughs) leaves something to be desired so that made me nervous but this wasn't really a, a much of a challenge because it I just involved had, saw blades. I had to enlarge. I had to enlarge the hole. Now, are you impressed? Are you really impressed with the fact that I have a saw that could do this? Yes. With me. Yes. And you even knew where it was. That res- was also impressive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, at this point, all that remains to be done is a little trim sure. on one side. But we're waiting for that. Just for and it. we're deciding how best to do that. So we bought a, a a double burner induction cooktop, and all the new motorhomes have, well, that have induction cooktops, have them as portable units too, so that you it drops into a hole, has a tray, and then you can lift it out and take it outside and use it in the picnic table or wherever. And this, was, so we decided to buy that kind that uh, lifts out, and so you don't need any double stick tape to hold it in. Uh, and it's heavy enough just to be held in if you're as you're going down the road by gravity. Yeah, but I had to do a little bit. I have a reciprocating saw which is not the most precision of devices. But aha, I was very surprised that even in a quality motorhome like we have, that the countertops are not stone. No, I would have made the job a lot harder. <laughs> they so, look like Corian. They look uh, very nice. They don't scratch that easily, but they are soft. Cheaters, the Hollywood version of Corian. And, of course, they say the reason why that is is because it is heavy. Stone is heavy. So. so I've heard that the old carpentry adage is to measure twice and cut once. And for this particular project, I would say we measured twice and you cut twice, which was pretty close. You didn't want to make the hole any bigger than it needed to be, but we had a little trouble getting the cord part of the gizmo below the surface, but it all worked out great, and I've been cooking happily on my new induction cooktop, realizing that I will use far less electricity, which doesn't bother us a whole lot here, but when we are in dicier situations or boondocking, is much more practical. And once again, we're going to be able to get rid of the uh, external 
single burner induction gizmo that we had that you always had to get out every time you wanted to use it. And then I lost counter space. You lost counter space. So this actually fits very nicely. It looks, you know, it's black, so it fits very nicely. So uh, bottom line is, if anybody would like a princess double burner electric cooktop we have one that we will be glad to say that we're no longer using the electricity was easy because uh there was just a pigtail in there and so i just added a plug this this new one plugs in needless to say because it's portable so it has a standard plug on it so i just took the pigtail off and put the a plug on the end and the electricity was done so the installation was actually quite easy and i would think that if you're looking at doing something like a Removal of your of your propane stove that would be fairly easy to do and, and put in the cooktop. This is a two burner, and the advantage of of induction is quite dramatic. I would say, is especially over the electric because you have much more precise control over the temperature of your pan. Wouldn't you say? Yes, yes. Yeah. I I was burning stuff on the bottom of the pan. It took right. a long time to get hot, and then I think I would get it too hot, right. and I felt like I had to stand there and stir it all the time. So this actually, the cooktop actually has both temperature and power settings. If you, if you would, you can use either setting that you want. So you could set something to. Uh, ooh, could you use it as in place of a sous vide? What's it called? Sous vide. Sous vide. I don't know how low it goes. Yeah. No, probably not. That's a good not. question. But you could use you could set it at a temperature that's below boiling or at boiling and and it'll just kind of just keep it warm. So that's a very nice feature for induction. And of course, it has a digital display, which is always critical. And our final kitchen improvement, which it final? feels like oh. we have been talking about forever, uh, was we finally bought an instant pot for the RV. Just like with the induction, we bought a cheap, crappy model at home to play around with it and see if we liked it. <laughs> and I can tell well. from the incessant stream of recipes into my Dropbox <laughs> that Ken has many future meals planned. And uh, the what remaining dilemma next? is... The list is long. ...is where to put it and how big of a instant pot to buy. In my thinking, it was going to replace the little nook where I had a crock pot because that's one of the features that it does very well. But, of course, the instant pot that was that size looked to us like it might be good for one person cooking for themselves and not two. Yes. So we bought the... Six-quart. Six-quart. And, and you're never supposed to use it more than two-thirds, so it's a four-quart. So that involved a major redo of the kitchen, which was just fine. We now have an official Instant Pot, and I'm looking forward to Branded. lots of healthy eating down the road. Now, you're telling me that one of our listeners well, bought one and didn't I, like it? Yes. Based on our recommendation, they bought a, an Instant Pot, and uh, they didn't like it. And they sent me an email to that effect. What and didn't they like? And that's fine. I'm not sure exactly. Uh -huh. And that's fine. I uh, I appreciate the feedback, and we certainly never mean to give you false information. But with that said, uh, we just tell you our opinions, and you know you need to adjust your thinking based on our opinions. And if you uh, concur with what we do, you know, you, then you can take our opinions as as something that is useful. And if you don't, then form your own opinions or listen to somebody else, I guess. I don't know what to say exactly. One of the reasons we are non-commercial is so that we can express our opinions freely. And you understand, dear listener, that this is an opinion. That and you should also understand that sometimes we don't both have the same opinion. <laughs> 
um, which we don't always say, but I will say about the Instant Pot as the primary cook uh, all these years, um, I can see that I have a learning curve to use it properly. And since I already know how to do it the old way, the amount of effort that I want to exert to learn the new way uh, makes me perhaps less enthusiastic than our Tuesday cook. Uh, It has to be worth it, and maybe it wasn't worth it to you. Exactly. And just like it took us years to appreciate Roger Ebert as a movie critic because he f- viewed movies the way we did. And his, we, so we took his star ratings of movies quite seriously because when we went to the movies that he, that he liked, we liked them. But, you know, that took us a while to find out. There are other reviewers that we just don't uh, agree with, with at all, that we just don't click with. And so uh, you have to find people that are of a similar opinion that, that you are. And, you know, uh, we have our opinions, and we certainly respect other people's opinions, but... To each his own. To each his own, right. So let's get out of the kitchen and talk about our Wi-Fi improvements. Well, on being here for another two months, we decided to give... Well, let's say, let's start with the fact that when we got here, our AT&T Mobley, which has worked great everywhere... Was sluggish. Sluggish. Here. And as you would expect, this is Tango Internet here at this campground, which is included in our monthly fee, but the Tango Internet specifically states we do not provide service for streaming. I think I hear the word Tango and my blood pressure just goes up <laughs> 10 points from our many wonderful we, experiences uh, we have had many over the years. Well, and, but usually you have to pay for it, and this, uh, this, it is uh, this one is included. Uh, and, and if it, all we wanted to do was email and surf, it would probably be okay. But at this stage of the game, I keep reading about all these things I want to stream. Yeah, exactly. And um, it was frustrating. And, of course, I, like everybody else who listens to the podcast, has their own uh, cable modem that they bring along with them just for the situation because they offer free cable here, too. And most of the time you can get Internet through the cable. So when we're in Florida and other places, you just hook up the cable modem, you call them up, and you tell them what you're going to do. And they say, okay, we activate your cable modem, we'll charge you a, a monthly fee. What's your credit card number? Yeah, what's your credit card number? And away you go. Oh, no, not here. Not at Rincon in Arizona. They have very old infrastructure. It's an old park. Yeah. When we first started with high-speed Internet, back in the good old days, <laughs> 10 years ago, uh, we had D- what's called DSL, Digital Subscriber Line, and that was the f- came through the phone lines. How many people still have phone lines, actual phone lines? I old mean, we, have, we still actually old have... Old people in old places? Yeah, I guess so. We still have a home phone, a landline... But it comes through the cable. Yeah. It's, there's no, there, we don't have the wires anymore from the old AT&T uh, twisted pair lines that came into the house that you had for years and years and years. You used to have two twisted pair that came in, four wires that came into your house, and that provided uh, your phone service. And now we have uh, – we, well, at one time I got – in 1994, literally, I think in 1994, I got DSL at home, and I was ecstatic because it was high speed. 128 – no, 256 megabit – no, 256 kilobytes a second. Was that when you were replacing the one that went, ooh 
Yeah, when that was yes, yes, and it was continuously connected, so you didn't need to have a, a dial in, you didn't need to use the phone line, and I was ecstatic about that. And now I come here all these years later, and I call up and they say, "Oh no, your cable modem won't work here because we use DSL." Oh! I just went DSL. You've got to be kidding me. But you used your techie charms to the people in Salt Lake City who administer the Wi-Fi here. Why don't my techie charms work on you? Because I'm not techie. Oh. They made all sorts of arrangements. What charms charms work on you? Well, I'm still here, aren't I? So these people in Salt Lake City who knew nothing about our situation here uh, made all these plans with Ken to get somebody local out here (laughs) to do what needs to be done. And we felt kind of dubious about the whole thing. But five days later, this wonderful man showed up and made it work. So now I have a twisted pair coming into the motorhome that's hooked up to their DSL modem, which is a lot like a cable modem, but unfortunately the speeds are not as good as we can we would like to have. They they said, oh, we'll g- give you 20 megabits a second, which is decent. And when they actually got out here, it was more like five or six. But we were able to stream a movie. We were able to stream some movies. That's my bottom and it's, line. And there's no data cap, so that's good. But the AT&T Mobley, uh, which has given us five, six, ten megabits a second uh, service through, I mean, in the most remote places, and you know, if you've listened to the podcast a while, you know that we have really found the Mobley to be a fabulous device. But here, due to overloaded towers, it is uh, about 0.3, 0.5 megabits a second, so it's extremely slow. And we know it's not our device, it's just the towers around here are, are at capacity. Now, one of the ways that you Visitors. know that your towers are at capacity, just a little trick here, is that when your download speeds are dramatically slower than your upload speeds. So our download speeds have been, as I've just mentioned, 0.5, 0.3 megabits a second. And our upload speeds are in the 5 or 6 megabits a second. So that is a big difference. And that tells you that the towers are just plain crowded. And the Mobley can't weasel its way in, even though I have my amplifier and all that sort of stuff. The signal is good and strong, but the tower is just over overwhelmed. And when you're in a, in a motorhome park that has 450 sites uh, and everybody trying to use their phones and stuff for data, that's going to happen. So if we were insane enough to camp here in July, it would probably be much better. Probably. And that's why we called DSL, uh, the CenturyLink DSL, and had that installed. And installing doesn't really mean much. Uh, they had to go out and they have to well, – I was well, I was kind of surprised. They had to go out and activate my utility pole. And the guy said, well, we've never been in this area before. <laughs> so – But uh, they did it, and everybody in this park who has wired internet is using DSL, apparently. For two months, it'll be okay. So my bottom line is if you are a Wi-Fi addict as we are, and you're going to be camping in a spot for 
more than a month. Yeah. Um, ask around and see what kinds of services available in your area and pursue it. Uh, because even though we had our doubts, we are happy campers now. Yes, and that's a, a very good point because it, you can have it wired and they are offering a no contract so that you can use it for as long as you want and then just disable it. And then I send the box back and we call it a day because I don't ever plan. Well, I doubt that I will ever have a CenturyLink account again. Again. And of course, we we've, we've done the same thing in Florida and Texas and other places. So, this is entirely feasible. And hardwired or wired uh, internet is just plain more stable and more usable than Wi Fi, nearly always. And so, Wi Fi is only kind of as a last resort for us. And by wired, I mean that the, it, it's wired to the box the cable modem or whatever, the DSL box that you have, and then it takes it and turns it into Wi-Fi for you to use in your house or your motorhome. So we basically have the same Wi-Fi we've always had, but the signal coming in, the the Internet coming in, is coming in through a wire rather than coming in through the air. Now we did Does that talk make sense? to one local person who had um, a lot of stressful conversations with this particular company when it came time to stop using their services when she left the campground and went home. So hopefully yeah. we won't have any sad stories to tell you on the other hand after we take off, but right now things are copacetic. Well, this is, they, they say there's no contract. I and know you get, what they say. I know, and you can cancel any time, so we will be canceling after two months. Any time. Of course, now, as I say, the wireless Internet is always less stable, but when we're talking about TV... Um, that's a whole different story. And we love to have the digital TV through DirecTV, which we like. And the reason why I like DirecTV is, is because my DVR has an OTA and, uh, capability so that when we get to a place, I can put up my antenna and I can start recording the off-the-air channels, OTA, off-the-air channels from the antenna. And when so, you're so in a major combines, metro area, there's lots to right. access. So it combines both the satellite TV and the over-the-air TV into one viewing experience. And that's one of the reasons why I have uh, direct TV. I've had a, a, a few discussions with people about uh, TV antennas, and they're, they're going to upgrade and buy a digital antenna. Um, that really is not the case. There is no such thing as a digital antenna. It's just an antenna that is tuned to the the UHF frequencies that TV uses. Probably most of you know that the FCC has been in the process of selling off uh, various frequencies for use by other providers. I think we've talked about this even because some of the cell phone companies have actually bought some of the formerly TV frequencies for use with cell phone. Whew. Is that, you understand that? You, you've told me a number of times and I almost get it. <laughs> well, good. So that means the TV channels have actually had to move their frequencies to the former UHF frequency range. And that means that you need a, a different antenna. Um, these antennas with wide arms that we used to see on everybody's roof were for VHF, which is the former channels 2 through 13. And the new channels use UHF, which requires a actually a much smaller antenna. So when they talk about digital antennas, they're really talking about just a UHF antenna. And it has different uh, receiving 
arms on it than the old former VHF. And as a matter of fact, it's much smaller. So the batwing antenna that most motorhomes have had for a long time is not really as effective, which is why putting on that little gizmo on the... And I forgot what that was called. We don't know. But that little gizmo that you put onto the batwing to make it more UHF friendly. Our new antenna is actually flat because these it'll trap the signals just as easily. But these are not digital. They are not in any way special or even new. TV channels uh, above to, above channel 13 have used UHF for years, but now all of the channels are above 13. Um, and when you say that it's channel 6, it's not really channel 6 anymore. It's channel 6 being broadcast on channel former, former channel 32 or something. Now that's confusing. Yeah, well, they 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 don't want to re- rebrand themselves, so they they still call themselves Channel Six, but it's not being broadcast on the former Channel Six because that those frequencies have been sold by the FCC, and we're going to be benefiting from from that when fantastic new coverage for our cell phones. So, if you're thinking about buying a digital TV antenna, you need to think about buying just a good UHF antenna. And UHF, actually the signals are actually easier to capture than <laughs> than the former VHF channels. Ta-da! What should we talk about? Roadside assistance. Ah. A topic that you hate to think about, but you need to think about because you never know when you're going to need it. And for many years when we didn't have decently sized RVs. We were enthusiastic members of the AAA, um, which gave us good roadside assistance, but they're good at cars. And when you start getting bigger RVs, you have bigger problems and you need service that AAA cannot provide. Well, AAA now has a AAA RV. Category. Category. Uh But I don't really trust AAA that much. But we have had very good luck with good Sam uh, RV towing service, and that's the one that we use. We haven't had many problems, but when we have, we have found them to be very responsive. And I realize when I read um, other people's experiences yes. that to a great extent, it's a matter of where you are and the locals that are in that area and how responsive they are and whether they know what you need to have done to get yourself going again. So we have had very good experiences, but I do know with Good Sam that not everybody has. But with that said, you need to make sure that your RV towing service or your RV repair service, your your yearly contract, includes unlimited towing. That's a key because to tow your motorhome or your trailer or whatever you have is going to be very expensive. And it'll take just one towing operation to pay for years' worth of towing service. So make sure... And this is the problem with AAA, is is that they would only tow you a few miles, and they wouldn't tow motorhomes. So you need to have a towing service, which is adequate for the kind of vehicles that you have. If it includes the car, fine, but um, you need something special for your RV. And what's interesting is is that uh, Escapees has just started. Let's see there. How, who, who, who are the big ones? We have CoachNet. Yeah, you have good Sam, Mm -hmm. and now you have escapees roadside assistance. They're offering 
uh, roadside assistance for your RV, and I would assume that that will be a pretty good service too. We trust uh, escapees pretty much, and they've been a good, uh, reliable company overall. For other parts for other, of our RVing life, like right. our mail forwarding service has been wonderful. So even though we don't have any personal experience with them, uh, we think they're worth a look if you haven't gotten roadside assistance for yourself or you're wanting to make a switch. $99 a year. I think that's a little less than what we pay right now, so that's probably a pretty good deal. Refrigerators are always an interesting topic, and as most of you know, we've been very happy with our residential fridge. Residential meaning that it plugs in and is 100% electric and has no propane component. Propane refrigerators work good, uh, but they are prone to mechanical problems over time? <laughs> well, that's interesting. Mechanical problems being that they have no moving parts. You'd think that they would be very... Uh, They're not robust? Is that a better I, way to say it? I don't know exactly, but a lot of people have problems with the propane. I think a lot because they don't understand how they work. But but bottom line is is that uh, there's a lot of people going into residential fridges. The problem with residential fridges is, is that you have to have continuous operation of, of 110 volts. Mm-hmm. Not battery power, but you have to have 110 volts. Now, you can get 10 vo- 110 volt from an inverter, which is hooked up to a battery bank. People uh, are surprised to learn that basically, I would say, that a battery will run your fridge for about 12 hours. We have eight batteries, so considering the fact that we would only be running the refrigerator, that would mean that we would get four days without any recharging. That ain't much time. And you've put three solar panels on our roof would help? The three solar panels on our roof probably offsets the... On a nice sunny day like here in Tucson, it offsets the power required for the refrigerator. So that's uh, pretty much of a wash. That's been our solution. Uh, I think we could go for a long time without recharging the batteries from the generator or the engine, and we could boondock. And that's one of our goals. Every so often I read about people who turn off their refrigerators while they're traveling. What's that about? Well, I think that propane people, people don't like to use propane while they're driving. For fire danger. I guess so. Explosion. I can't imagine why you would turn it off. We never did that, did we? No. I don't think that that's an issue. You're carrying tons of gasoline, which is as volatile certainly as propane, so I wouldn't consider the, the two to be incompatible to use them both while you're driving. But if you have a residential fridge, you have to have some way to power it. And by using a absorptive refrigerator, which is the propane electric. Now, understand that it uses heat, so you have this heating element that's run either by 110 volt, so it's like a heating pad, or it has a flame, which is the propane. So if you have the propane, then that takes over for the 110. It still needs a little bit of 12 volt to run the the thermostat and that sort of stuff, the control board. But basically, that's not very much power. So it'll run for a long time on propane because it's using a flame. Now, there are ways that you can improve the efficiency of that so that you don't use that much propane. One of them is to install a fan 
in your refrigerator. We had a little portable one we bought at Camping World, which worked fine on two D cells. Or we're going to link to an article that talks about installing a muffin fan inside your refrigerator, which would do the same thing, and you don't need to replace the batteries. Now she's actually missing the point here because of the installing the muffin fan on the exterior is important too, because you have to have a flue. You have Off to have a dra- you have to have a draft that brings the heat up through the coils from the bottom heat source and exits it through the top, and that circulation is critical to the operation of a absorptive refrigerator. So, dear friends, you must make sure that your refrigerator has lots of circulation in the outside compartment, and you need to make sure that there's no obstruction, especially if your refrigerator is on a slide. On a slide means that it does not have a chimney like it does on a fixed part of your RV. If you notice that many people have a little uh, vent on the top for the refrigerator if it's in a portion of the RV that's fixed. If it's on the slide, you have a side vent on the top. So you have a bottom vent to bring the air in and a top vent to bring the air out. You sometimes need a fan to get things going and to make sure that the circulation is adequate. If you have a fan, you need to make sure that it's working. This will improve the efficiency, especially (laughs) in hot seasons like now. Of course, most of the stuff I read about is now people freezing stuff. But but in the summer, you need to have a fan. And that muffin fan, which are commonly available everywhere, 12-volt fans, that just provide a little bit of air circulation. So we're going to link to an article that is on rvtravel.com about the pros and cons of residential fridges. You can read the whole thing. It goes on for days, and you will see that many people have many and varied opinions about this topic. It seemed like a hot and controversial issue from what I saw on there. And this is an ideal example of... We're different people different with different, people different opinions. And this, this, the pros and cons of residential fridges and RVs is... There must be 50 pages of comments about people, and all of them valid, I guess. I and mean, you've people... changed your mind over the years. Well, yes. I'm, I changed my mind. I think you did. <laughs> my opinion has changed. What about the people who took my opinion before? Oh, no. I've let them down. <laughs> Jeez. Well, learning and growing. Learning and growing. That's what RVing is about, and we're trying to provide you with some experiences that we've had. Now, this tip about parking level is only an issue if you have a propane fridge, do electric fridges? Well, that's what it's talking about. This is actually two articles. There's one that's the pros and cons of the residential fridge, and then the second one is five ways to make your refrigerator work Work better. better. And having it level, because it is a convection type of process. Whether it's electric or or only for propane. But propane are also electric. <laughs> uh oh, well, here we go. Imp- when is it important you, to be ladies level? and gentlemen of the, of the audience? Are you confused too? Yeah. Okay. When is it important to be level? Okay. It is when you have a propane one. Okay. That so, I'm pretty sure of. But how about when you have just an electric one? If you have a residential fridge, it makes no difference. That's what I thought. Because it's it has a pump which is circulating the coolant. So it makes no difference whether it's level. If you have a electric dash propane fridge meaning that it is an absorptive type, which means it has no pump, that it uses convection circulation in order to do the cooling, that it has to be reasonably level, and otherwise it'll get bubbles and then it won't work because it has no pump, so that it just depends on cooling at the top and heating at the bottom, and the, 
the convection currents that are created when fluids are heated and cooled, and it has to be level. And something else that Reasonably these, level. these articles don't mention, but it seems like a no-brainer to me, you have to make sure that your refrigerator stays closed properly. This is easier to spot if you are in a motorhome because you might hear the door winging open when the driver goes around a corner, but if you're towing a trailer, you might be very surprised to arrive at a campsite and find that all of your food has thawed in your freezer because the drawer came open and stayed open. Certainly bungee cords are a camper's friend and there are also many devices that you can buy that help to lock down your fridge doors. This is a problem you never worry about at home but it's an issue when you are going down the road. Yes, absolutely. This is the time of year when everybody is going to RV shows (gasps) and we didn't go this year. We still could. We can There's wear. one here. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. at the fairgrounds. Okay. Uh, well, last year at this time, we were going to the Tampa RV show. We had a great time, so lots and lots of rigs. And we see lots of people shopping. I found an article which I think has a interesting perspective because it offers you some options for when you are finally making decisions about an RV. Many people look go through the RVs. They look at the glitzy stuff. Does it have tile floors and what's the wood look like and what the are the appliances, decor. the decor, the, the floor plan, all of those things are critical. And, but, but easy to see. As I have mentioned many times, there are other things that are equally as important. One of them they talk about in this article, which I think is, is worth a read if you're seriously shopping for an RV. They say... Two things you should do before you decide on an RV is to go up on the roof and look around and see because the manufacturer does not expect new owners to go up on the roof. So go up and see what things look like up there. Are there big globs of of stuff, (laughs) caulking and stuff? How neat is it up there? And then the other thing to do is to bring along your pad and look underneath the RV because this will give you some ideas about how the construction is in those invisible areas that you might not otherwise see. They don't pay much attention to the construction. And the article said that even people like me who have no idea what they're looking at when they crawl under an RV will notice that things are hanging down loosely and are asymmetrical or not properly tightened, and you can spot those things while you're laying on a pad on the floor, yeah, how's even the, though you how's don't know. The, how are the, the, the pipes and things? How are they looking down under there? Is it nicely, neatly done, or is it just sloppy? Done by somebody in a hurry. With the huge sale of RVs these days, uh, they have to be putting out RVs quickly, and that is going to cause some quality control problems. So, uh, And people certainly complain about that a lot. Yes, for years. But it's something that uh, you can avoid if you just do a little bit of research, I think. Or you can buy one of the top five most expensive RVs from 2018. We have an article which we will link to (laughs) to let you see how the other half lives who spends millions of dollars on their rigs. A girl can dream. A girl can dream. And if she has over a million dollars, she can dream a lot. But you can dream about planning. And maybe you want to plan using Pinterest. Have you done this? 
I've used it occasionally, but not for travel. But this article really gives excellent suggestions on gathering information before you take a trip and finding out places to go that are a little more obscure. Uh That people um, have been to and they've taken pictures of. That you haven't heard of yet. We're, We're finding that here in Tucson, even though we have spent... Over two months here, over the years, uh, we are still finding interesting cool to places to go. Um, last week we went to, to Ruby, Ruby, the Arizona. best ghost town in Arizona, four miles from the Mexican border, and had a fun day poking around in the decrepit buildings and thinking about what life must have been like when the mining industry was big time in that particular area. Yes. And it takes a while to find those things out. And if you don't have the time, if you're still a working person, you can... What, let your fingers do the walking and see the research that other people have done on Pinterest about a particular area that you're considering and get some additional ideas. And on Facebook regularly, somebody will say, we're going to such and such a place, Uh, what do you do there? And I think they would be better off just going to Pinterest and typing in where to visit in Maine, and they will find tons and tons of uh, choices about things that people have done in Maine. And these are just as valid as anything you find on Facebook, so it's uh, it, it's worth it to, to use Pinterest. Pick your favorite pins. What I love about clicking through the links on Pinterest is, is that it feels like you're asking a friend's suggestions. Most links go to personal blogs by fellow tra- travelers or bloggers, like... Like me. Like you, yes. Uh, save articles for future reference. Yeah, I think you have an idea of where you're going to go. So p- in Pinterest, when you see something that looks cool, save it so that you can look at it later. And sometimes you can pin stuff and develop a route or an itinerary once you see a pattern to the places that have caught your interest. And I want to also make a reference to an app that that I have recommended before called Coverage. And I talked about Wi-Fi and cell coverage, but this app is specifically compares and looks at the cell coverage for a specific area. And they just came out with a brand new map, and it is zoomable so that you can see your area, so you can see where the towers in your area are for each of the different uh, carriers. And it still is the case that Verizon has by far the best coverage in the United States with AT&T a close second. It's been our experience using the Mobley and using our own Verizon service that both are pretty pretty good, mostly in the United States, but T-Mobile and Sprint, uh, Sprint in particular, fall off uh, quite quite quickly. And with this app, you can see for the area that you're going to exactly what the coverage is going well, what the coverage should be in that area. There's it's always a, a crapshoot whether you're going to actually get the coverage that you see, but this app gives you that option to see uh, as best you can. And they they update it regularly, and it is just updated this week for 2018, so that there's lots of new information there. So, what are we going to be doing next month? What the, will they? We went to the gem show. It's hard to convey the gem show. <laughs> it's worth it to come out here to look at it. Um, it's the, one of the largest, the largest in the uh, United States. In the world. We have p- no personal interest in rocks or minerals. And we, we have are not gem been people. to the gem show in Tucson before and are undoubtedly going to walk our feet off trying to see 
a small portion of it uh, again this year. Uh, I think one thing that appeals to us about the Gem Show is the variety of rocks and minerals that come to the show um, in giant petroleum barrels that get shipped here from Madagascar and Brazil. And, Unbelievable. Um, the international we, aspects of the Gem Show appeal to, to us. We have to give our listeners the scope of this. Now, Tucson is a fairly large town. But this gem show, it takes over the entire town. You're driving down the expressway, and there are tents that are three, 400 feet long. We went to one tent yesterday, yesterday and spent an hour and a half walking around, and we didn't see the whole thing. It dwarfs the quartzite, anything oh, easy, in quartzite. easy. But they, have, they, they put up tents, and these tents are huge. And there are 15 of them. Then they take over hotels, and there are tents in the parking lot. There are tents. Uh, they the they take complex. over the rooms. They take over the sports complex. And the convention and center. And every place is packed with rocks. And I don't want to say gems necessarily. They call it the gem show, but <laughs> these can be rocks in their almost raw, just found yes, state, exactly. all the way up to beautifully polished and shaped and cut, put in various settings and used in creative ways for home furnishings. Right now we are lusting after a, a light that we saw <laughs> made out of agate uh, that would make a, a very nice recessed lighting floor Actually, lamp. It was made out of agate. Wasn't it agate? Quartz. Oh, quartz. Okay. So all sorts of home decor items are for sale. Uh, it's hard to describe. If, and if you're a beater or ugh, like to make jewelry craft for person. yourself, you got to come to the gem show. You will be so inspired. So this is two weeks in February uh, on a yearly basis, and it's not just locals. It, this is an international show. The displays are rocks from Madagascar. Oh, and fossils. And dinosaur bones. Dinosaur bones. <laughs> We could go on and Butterflies, on. Butterflies, giant termites mounted in cases, <laughs> anything natural, I would almost say. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, and, and wood products and and, and and raw materials as well as finished product. And that's what's also cool because I think thousands of people, come, literally thousands of people come here to buy the raw materials that they're going to use to make stuff that they're going to sell to you at home. Now, one of the good things is, is that we bought in Petra. Last, last year we were on a cruise that went from uh, Singapore to Rome. And once we got to the four ports in India, we kept seeing this necklace that was being sold right off the cruise ship by vendors of dubious reliability. And, and you don't know whether the gems are really gems. And, and I saw this necklace and I just fell in love. We asked the price and it was so much more than I would ever spend on a necklace. So then we went to the Hundreds. next port and we saw it again and again. Again, we had the questions and the doubts. And when we finally got to Petra and Jordan, there it was inside a jewelry store. And I have to wonder about my own psychology. If I trusted <laughs> a jewelry store Sucker. more than I trusted a vendor outside on the pier. That being said, we bought the necklace and paid what seemed like an awful lot of money for it. But lo and behold, we saw the necklace again here at the gem show, and it was more expensive. Ta-da! Patting myself on the back. Guessed right. But the quality here was much better. <laughs> anyway, uh, stuff like that that you see here, as well as just thousands of other things that uh, are very cool. Sandstone paintings, and I don't know. It's just it's worth coming here if you're in the vicinity. Certainly worth spending a day. We're going to probably spend two or three days just walking Easy. around. And we're not going to buy anything to speak of. No. 
unless we find something really Another cool. necklace. Another <laughs> necklace, right. But even for those of you who are not into gems, this is not diamonds and rubies, although it there opals. are some. There, there are, are some. Yeah. Opals from all over the world. But just to go and see, and it's mostly open to the public. There are some wholesale places that are not open to the public. But that's because there are too many places. Yeah, to yeah that, that doesn't hinder us at all because we can just go and see the things that we want to see. And I'm not into beating. But, and if you're in the least bit interested in finding raw materials for making your craft projects, craft projects this will be the place that you'd really want to come. So... That's going to be what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. And then we will be here through February. Wow. So we'll talk to you again in a month from this very spot. The motorhome is taking a rest as we sit here for a couple of months uh, in the wintertime. And it's cold at home and warm here. But we hope that it's very warm with you where you are. And our warmest thoughts come to you. Or you're you. making warm plans for the future. Exactly. We hope to see you in a we hope to see you in this campground next month. And our next door neighbor is somebody we've met who had listened to the podcast. So that does happen, and we are always happy to meet our listeners and to chat with you. So we wish you happy travels and stay in touch. Talk to you in March. March. Well, yes, for the March podcast. 